Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, it's good to see you. I want to welcome you uh, to Canyon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad uh, that you're tuning in today. Uh, As you can see, we are on the moon this morning. Uh, we're getting ready for VBS this week. It's going to be an incredible uh, week. Right now, we're, we have just under 100 children registered to be here with us this week for VBS, which is awesome. We're so excited. Uh, but like I mentioned last week, I want to encourage you throughout this week to uh, pray for VBS. Uh, we have a lot of people uh, that are, that are going to be here, obviously kids that we're ministering to, their families, uh, a lot of volunteers. Uh, so just be in prayer this week for uh, this awesome event. It's one of my favorite weeks of the whole year. It's one of the funnest weeks of the year, uh, and we're, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, but today we're in the second week of this series uh, that we're going to be in through the summer, uh, where we're talking about the life and story of David. Uh, and I love David. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. Uh, And David, you know, he had a very humble beginning as a shepherd boy, uh, the youngest son tending his father's sheep. And he later goes on to become uh, the king of of the nation of Israel, of God's people. And his story is one with a lot of ups and downs and a lot of faith and a lot of failures and mistakes and redemption in the end. And, And, you know, I think we can all relate to that story. And so my prayer for us as we walk through this story of David is that we will find some hope and inspiration in his story, most of all, a renewed sense of purpose uh, in our walk with God. And last week, we, we looked sort of at our introduction of David in scripture, uh, where he's anointed to be the next king. And God sent the prophet Samuel uh, to Bethlehem to select and anoint the future king of Israel uh, from among Jesse's sons. And God chose the most unlikely one of the bunch to become the next king. And that's how God works. You know, he often chooses the overlooked. He often chooses the underqualified, those who don't really look the part or have it all together. Uh, And we talked about success, which is going to be really a big theme for us as we walk through Uh, this series. And I want to remind you of our definition, uh, a biblical success, what that looks like. And that's this, that success is discovering and living out God's plan for your life. That's what it means to be successful. Nothing else, nothing more. We find success when we discover and live out God's plan for our life. Today, we're going to talk about my favorite story in all of scripture. Uh, So if you have lunch plans, you might want to call and and cancel that. Uh, We're going to be here a while this morning. Uh, We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. And here's what I want to tell you right up front. I believe the story of David and Goliath, it's not about David. It's not about Goliath. I think it's about the power of God. I think it's about Jesus. And I think that we sometimes miss that. And I hear a lot of preachers preach messages on David and Goliath. And the whole point of the message is how to defeat your giants. And I think that's great. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today too, because we all have some giants in our lives. There's nothing wrong with that inspiration and that motivation. But I think we sometimes miss the bigger point of the story. And, and in order to really understand the story of David and Goliath, I think we have to see Jesus in the story. We have to see how Jesus is moving and how he ultimately is the one who gives us the power and the ability to overcome and conquer the giants in our lives. And he did that, right? He conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the grave. 
And he still has the ability to conquer in and through our lives. And so I don't want us to miss that as we read this story today. But first I wanna read to you a verse from Acts chapter 13, verse 36. This is what it says about David. It says, for David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers in decay. He died, all right? That's a successful life. It says, David served God's purpose in his generation and then he died. And that's success. Remember, none of our lives on earth are gonna last forever. We will live forever. There's eternity to look forward to. But in terms of life on on earth, right here where we are, it's very temporary. uh, And we only get one shot at this. And at the end of our lives, we're gonna look back on our time and we're gonna ask the question, what did I do with the life that God gave me? What did I spend my life doing? What did I spend my life on? Uh, And I wanna remind you that I said last week that life is a trust. And it's all about stewardship. It's about managing it well. It's about being faithful with this little bit of life here on earth that God gave us. And so last week we talked about life and we answered this question. What are you doing with the life that God gave you? And all through this series, I want us to come back to and think of that question. But today we're gonna build on that a little bit. Um, And today I wanna ask you the question, why? All right. If you've figured out what you're doing with the life that God gave you, Now the question is, why? And there's a big difference between these two questions. The first question is, what are you doing with the life that God gave you? What are you spending your life on? And that's a pretty common question that we ask in church. What are you doing with your life? But I wanna shift the focus today to a bigger question. And that question is, why are you spending your life doing what you're doing? Now, that's not necessarily a job-specific question. I'm not asking you, why are you working the job that you're working? It could relate to your career. It might relate to how you treat people. It might relate to how you raise your kids. It might relate to your, your marriage situation. The question why, in other words, is not just a job question. So I don't want you to leave here today thinking, well, I'm gonna go in and quit my job tomorrow because I don't know why I'm working there, okay? <laughs> That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, how are you spending the life that God gave you and why are you spending it that way, okay? Now, what in the world does that have to do with David and Goliath? Okay, we're gonna get there. In the middle of this story of David and Goliath, David asks a question that is monumental. And in some translations, it's, written as a monumental question. In other translations, it's not as much of a pinnacle moment in this story, but I'm gonna illustrate that for you uh, here in just a moment. But the problem is some of us really don't know and understand our why, okay? We don't have a good answer for that question. And when that happens, we come up with some answers and it might look like this, because I need to pay the bills, right? That's why. I'm doing what I'm doing because I need to get through another month. I've got to pay the rent and the electricity bill and put food on the table, that's why. Okay, others might say, because I want to make people happy. That's why. I want everyone to like me. I want my boss to be happy with me. I want my spouse to be happy with me. So I'm doing what I'm doing because I need to do that in order to make other people like me. I don't want to let anyone down, that's why. Now the problem with both of those motivations is that neither one of them is good for the long term. They might give us some motivation for the moment. They might give us some motivation for the day, but neither one of those things is gonna give us motivation for life, okay? 
For some people, their why is reduced even more than that. Some people might say, I just need to stay alive. That's why. I just need to make it another day. I just need to get through this day. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or if you're a teenager, you might say, because there's nothing better to do, (laughs) right? Has anyone ever heard that before? Yeah, some of the dumbest things I've ever done in my entire life happened when I was a teenager and there was nothing better to do. And it just seemed like the right thing to do in that moment, right? But this why question is so important and we come up with all sorts of ridiculous answers for it. But remember our definition of success. It's discovering and living out God's plan for your life. So if God's plan defines success for you, if God's plan is what success looks like, if being successful really is discovering and living out God's plan for your life, then our answer should be a little bit different. Why are you spending your life doing what you're doing? What if instead we answered that question with statements about God's plans and purposes for our lives? Remember, I gave you five of these last week. Why am I doing what I'm doing? because I was created to worship God, okay? That's why I live the way I do. That's why when I go to work, I give it the best that I can because I'm worshiping God in everything that I do. That's why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I belong in God's family, because I need good godly people in my life, so I belong to a church, that's why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because God's plan is for me to become more like Jesus, That's why, that's why I'm working on things. That's why I'm improving myself. That's why I'm growing and maturing and praying and reading my Bible, that's why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because God has equipped me and empowered me to make a difference because I'm called to serve him and to serve others, that's why. Why am I doing this? Because God gave me a life to use for something that is bigger than this life. In other words, my end goal is not happiness. My end goal is not satisfaction. God saved me and redeemed me so that I can share his love with other people. That's why. Do you see the difference? A shift takes place when we understand God's purposes. In other words, when God's plan for your life is your why, you live a whole lot differently than you do when you don't know why. Does that make sense? So today, as we look at the story of David and Goliath, I'm gonna pull out of the story a few challenges for us, okay? If you really want to discover and know and understand your purpose and your why, I think that this story will really help you. Uh, So we're really gonna dive deep into this today. We're gonna learn why. Uh, and, And while we're on that, there's an author, his name is Simon Sinek. Some of you may have heard of him before. He's an author, he's like a leadership guy. Uh, a, a really good businessman. And he wrote a book called Start With Why. Uh, it's one of the better books that I've read in the last five years of my life. And in the book, he basically says, you know, he's a business guy, so he's talking about companies, but he says a lot of companies keep doing what they're doing and they can instantly tell you what they're doing. He says, but most companies, especially the ones who are struggling, can't tell you why they're doing it. And he wrote this book about that, essentially for business people, about the importance of knowing the reason why. And I love this illustration that he gives in the book. He says, Martin Luther King gave the I have a dream speech, not the I have a plan speech, okay? In other words, he understood his why. In other words, sometimes I say, here's what I'm doing, but I can't really tell you why I'm doing it or what's driving me or what's motivating me. So that's what I hope to give you from the story of David and Goliath today. This is one of the most well-known stories in all of scripture. It's my literal favorite 
Uh, it's the story of an ordinary, everyday little boy named David who defeats a giant named Goliath. How inspiring is that, right? How motivational is that? Maybe I could defeat some giants in my life too. The bigger question that I wanna ask today is why, okay? Why did David do this? Have you ever wondered that? Why did David agree to take on Goliath? I mean, it's great that he did, right? And he won and he's okay and Israel's delivered, but why? What drove him? That's what we're gonna dig into today. Uh, And as we look for David's why in the story, I wanna ask you the same question, why? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is your cause? What is your reason? What is your purpose? Why are you doing what you're doing here on this earth? So we're gonna take a look at the story. We're gonna read it in some really big chunks, but I really want you to put yourself in the story with me. I really want you to picture this. Uh, The Philistines were on average quite a bit larger physically than the Israelites. And throughout the history and the story of the Old Testament, the Philistines continually raided Israel. They would come across the border and take what they wanted and pick on the Israelites and bully the Israelites. And then they would go home and they were able to get away with this because they were bigger and stronger. That's who they were. That's what they did. Uh, They never took over the nation of Israel completely, but through all these invasions and raids, they made life really difficult for the Israelites. So that's a little backstory. We're gonna pick up now in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse one. It says, the Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko and Judah and camped between Soko and Ezekah and Ephestamim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Allah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on the other hill with a ravine and a valley between them. I want you to really picture this with me. Okay, think Braveheart. All right, that's exactly what was happening here. Their faces were blue and everything, all right? On one side of the valley, you have the Israelites. And on the other side, you have the Philistines. And they're camped on either side of the valley. And in the middle of the valley is the battleground. So at this point, they're there. They're ready, they're lined up for battle, but they haven't engaged yet. They're kind of just standing there. They're essentially staring at each other, wondering who's gonna make the first move, what's gonna happen next. Verse four, it says, then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. Picture this. He's nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds pounds. This detail we miss. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. Now, when we read this story, we miss the shield bearer. In other words, there's another guy there, okay? It's not just Goliath coming out. There's a guy carrying his stuff with him. And he comes out, he's nine foot nine inches tall. He's wearing all this armor and he's got this shield bearer in front of him holding a shield. This is like a tank, all right? Verse eight, it says, he stood and shouted up the hill to the Israelite battle formations. Why don't you come down here, right? Have you ever said that to somebody before? Why don't you just come right on down here? (laughs) Why don't you line up to battle formation, he asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? 
He says, choose one of your men and have him come down here. If he wins in a fight and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will become our servants and serve us. Then he says this, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. Now, when Saul and Israel heard these words from Goliath, they lost their courage and they were terrified. Now, David was the son of the Apathrathite from the Bethlehem of Judea named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Let's pause right here for a minute. I want us to think back to chapter 16 that we read last week. The Bible tells us that David was taller and stronger than all of his brothers, right? The Bible tells us that David was anointed to be the next king because he was a powerhouse, right? No, David was the runt. He was the weak one. He was the shepherd boy. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. So they're gone. Names are Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next, and Shammah, the third. David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock of sheep in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath comes forward and takes his stand. One day, Jesse told his son, David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander and check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. If you've seen the VeggieTales version of this, this is pizza. You know what I'm saying? David is taking 10 boxes of pizza to his brothers in battle. So David did it. He got up early in the morning. He left the sheep with someone who would keep them. He loaded up and set out just as his father Jesse charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. Picture this. When he's speaking with them, suddenly... Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they ran back up the hill, right? They retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. So David spoke to the men who were standing with him. He says, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops then told David about the offer, concluding this is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's brother Eliab is there and he listens as David speaks to the man and he becomes angry with David. He says, why did you come down here? Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance. I know your evil heart. You just came down here to see the battle. Here's the question. David asks, what have I done now? 
And this is a monumental question that I don't want us to miss today. He says it was just a question. There's a lot of meaning in that sentence. Other translations uh, say that David said, is there not a cause? In other words, David's not just saying, what did I do to offend you? That's the way we typically take this. David is saying, what could possibly be wrong with my concern? Why do you have an issue with the fact that I wanna solve this problem? I'm bothered, I'm moved, and I wanna do something about this. What's wrong with that? David's basically challenging his brother. He's saying, don't you see what's at stake? Don't you understand what's going on? Our people are suffering. Is that not a good enough reason to get up and do something? Verse 30 says, then he turned from those beside him to the others in front of him and asked them about the offer. These people gave him the same answer as before. David was asking what he said was overheard, reported back to the king. So he had David brought to him. So David asked this really big question. And there's a big lesson and a big challenge for us that comes out of that question. And the challenge is this. This is the first point I'm gonna make today. Here's the first thing we learned from the story of David and Goliath. You need to know your why, okay? You need to know what's at stake. You need to know why you're doing what you're doing. David asked the question, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Is this not a big deal to anyone else? Are you not concerned about this? They're defying God. They're hurting our people. They're continuing to oppress us. Shouldn't we do something about this? There ought to be something in each of our lives that so moves us and burdens us and bothers us that we're willing to step out and take a risk to do something about it. In other words, you need to know your why. I need to be able to tell you what I'm living for and why. If you ask me, what are you living for? I would say, I'm a child of God. So I wanna know him, I wanna worship him, I wanna grow in my relationship with him and become more like him. I have a wife and a daughter, I wanna love them well, I wanna love them better, I wanna take care of them, I wanna be good to them and for them. I'm a pastor, I wanna lead my church well, I wanna preach God's word effectively, I wanna reach people for Jesus and point them to him. Great, why? Ultimately, I wanna do all of that to bring glory to God. Okay, what is your why? What is your cause? Why are you doing what you're doing? Know your why, okay? We're gonna keep reading verse 32. So David says to Saul, look at this boldness. Don't let anyone be discouraged by Goliath. He says, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. What does Saul say? He says, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David says, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came out and carried off a lamb from the flock, David says, I went after it, struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down and kill it. He says, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. David says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul says the lamest thing. He says, go and may the Lord be with you. That's the most uninspiring thing in the entire Bible. Go and may the Lord be with you. What a nice blessing to ask upon David, right? 
I don't even think Saul was being sincere. Here's the second challenge I wanna give you today. Once you know your why, you need to kill the lies. Let's not forget what David's brother just said to him. Let's not forget what Saul just said to him. David's brother said, why did you even come down here? Right? In other words, not even thank you for the pizza. <laughs> why did you come down here? Notice he says, who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? In other words, your job's not all that important. There's just a few of those sheep. He says, I know your arrogance. I know your evil heart. You just came down here to see the battle. Right? Have you ever had your motives questioned before? If you grew up with siblings, you probably did, right? Someone has probably questioned your motives at work, maybe your spouse, someone in your family. So David's brother says that. And then Saul, he says, you can't go fight this guy, right? You're too small, you're too weak, you're too insignificant, you're not big enough, you're no warrior, you're just a kid, you're just a shepherd boy, you can't handle this. I believe the world we live in today is constantly sending us that exact same message, right? You don't have what it takes, you're not ready for this. You're not up for this. The world we live in is constantly trying to tell us that there's something about us that makes us incapable for the challenge at hand. The world we live in is constantly trying to tell us that we're too insignificant to make a difference. Listen, you have to kill the lies before you'll ever be able to kill the giant. I believe that. You have to be able to overcome the lies. Notice how David responds. He immediately says, well, let me tell you why I think I'm ready. He says, God has been moving in my life. Whenever I'm out tending my father's sheep and a predator comes along, I have been able to overcome it, right? He says, I've killed lions, I've killed bears. So I know God is gonna get me through this as well. David is recalling the ways that God has moved in his life to overcome the lies that he's hearing, okay? Verse 38, Saul has his own military clothes put on David. Put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. Says David strapped his sword over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. He says, I can't walk in these, right? I'm not used to this. So David took them off. Instead, the Bible says, he took his shepherd's staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, the creek, and put them in his pouch, in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I want you to picture this. As the story goes on, I'm more and more impressed with David, right? Saul offers David his armor and David basically says, you know what? I don't need this. And that's pretty inspiring to me because most of us, when we're faced with a challenge, have the tendency to look around for Saul's armor, Right? Most of us have the tendency to say, I need what they have. Give me something someone else has. Then I'll be able to accomplish this, right? If I just had their money, if I just had their success, if I just had their looks or their charisma, their personality, if I just had their talent, their gifts, if I just had the same opportunities they'd been given, then I could do that. We're constantly looking around for Saul's armor. David knew his why, he killed the lies. And here's the third challenge. You need to own your cause, okay? In other words, once you figure out your why, once you figure out why God put you here and dedicate your life to that why, now you have to take ownership for it 
and realize that you are the one responsible for doing what God created you to do. I believe that God has called me to this. That's our thought. I believe that he has equipped me and prepared me for this. And I am the one responsible for this role, for this plan that God gave me. In other words, I'm not gonna try to do someone else's job and someone else's armor. I'm gonna do what God created me to do. This is my cause. This is my fight. We need to take ownership of that. So David took his shepherd's staff and he went on to face the giant. Verse 41 says, the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth. I love it. He adds, healthy and handsome. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, and you have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then, all the world will know that Israel has a God and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack David, David ran quickly to the battle line. Notice that. Bible says he ran quickly to the battle line, put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it and hit Goliath on the forehead. Picture this. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. It says, David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. This is where it gets good. David ran and stood over him, grabbed his sword, pulled it from his sheath and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. Talk about owning your cause, okay? The speech David gave before he killed Goliath is one of my favorite speeches in the Bible, right? He wanted to make sure everyone knew that it wasn't him. He wanted to make sure everyone knew that it wasn't his power. He wanted to make sure everyone knew that it was not about him. He wanted to make sure everyone knew why he was doing this. And you know what his why was? He said, if we lose... God will look bad to these people who don't even believe in him. But if we win, then the whole world will know that the God of Israel takes care of his people. His cause was, I wanna make sure the world knows who God really is. That was his why. I wanna make sure the world knows what God is capable of. I wanna make sure the world knows what God is really like. I wanna make sure his fame and renown and reputation are protected. And David was driven by that purpose and he owned it. He took responsibility for it. And he wasn't just a little bit motivated by it. He ran quickly to the battle line. I think inspiration is a powerful, powerful weapon. But it's very easy for us to become motivated for a moment. 
It's very easy for us to become inspired for a moment, but there was something so powerful inside of David that drove him to pick up that stone and that staff and run quickly to the battle line to face Goliath. He owned his cause and he was driven by God's purposes, okay? I don't want you to miss this. This is where it gets practical for us because I sometimes see signs of this popping up in my own life. And when it does, we need to be quick to squash it and repent of it. I see it in the lives of others too. A lot of us are really good at identifying what we wish we lived for. I see this all the time. We spend a lot of time talking about the life we wish we lived. We spend a lot of time talking about the life we could have. We spent a lot of time talking about the character we wish we had. We spent a lot of time talking about the way we wish we served God. I would love to be able to do this for the Lord. I would love to be able to do that. I could be a more mature follower of Jesus. I could spend more time reading my Bible. I could spend more time praying than I do now. And I really wish I did. But between that wishful thinking and our present reality, there are a whole bunch of little steps that we need to take to get closer to that. So it's easy for us to fall into this trap of wishing I could be like that. The problem is we're never willing to take one little step to help us get there. But what did David do? He ran toward the Philistine step by step by step. He owned his cause and he was driven forward by God's purpose. If you're not able to own it, if you're not able to own your why, your cause, it may be because you're not being driven forward by God's purposes. And if you aren't being driven forward by God's purposes, then you might need to check your heart and ask yourself, okay, then what is driving me? Is it the need to be happy? Is it the need to feel safe? Is it the need to be comfortable? Is it the need to please others? Is it my fear? Is it intimidation? What's holding you back? Gotta own your cause, all right? I wanna look at how the story ends and we'll get our final challenge here. This is such a cool part of the story. Verse 52 says, the men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Shearam road to Gath and to Ekron. How do the Israelites respond to this? They are screaming, right? They are shouting out their battle cry. Don't you just love that? I don't know about you, but I wanna run out there and be like, are you serious? <laughs> you just spent 40 days cowering in your tents and you sent this little boy out to fight your battle. But now that he's done it, you're in it. You're shouting out the victory cry. You're all excited. David was the one who had to take down the giant, but now they're all believing. Now they all get it. David spoke on God's behalf. He fought on God's behalf and he experienced victory on God's behalf. David knew his why. He killed the lies. He owned his cause. What's the last thing he did? Our final challenge is this, inspire the others, all right? You gotta know your why. Why did God put you on this planet? What did he create you to do? Then you kill those lies. You overcome those lies with truth. You gotta get rid of anything that holds you back. 
Then you own your cause. You have to decide if this is what God called me to do, then I am going to do it. I'm gonna own my cause and I'm gonna be driven by God's purposes. I'm not gonna sit back in my tent and let someone else go and fight my battle. I'm gonna fulfill his plan. And then when you've owned that cause and become responsible for it and lived a life that is truly driven by God's purposes, that life will inspire others. Other people will be impacted by your faith in Jesus when you have intentionally lived out his plans and purposes for your life. When other people watch you walk in victory and triumph, they too are going to be inspired to come and follow. I wanna make one very important clarification. Victory and triumph does not mean that your life is going to be easy. Victory and triumph does not mean that you're not going to encounter problems. As a matter of fact, I think it's the opposite. I think victory and triumph require problems. Otherwise there is no victory, there is no triumph. So I'm not saying that when we do these things, we're pursuing a life that is free from hardship or free from challenges like David, we need to charge into the battle courageously, understanding that the road to victory and triumph is full of problems. And there are people in this room here today who are charging into battle. There are people who are courageously battling cancer, people who are courageously battling depression, people who are courageously battling all sorts of issues, broken relationships, legal issues. They're going after their giants and they're giving glory to God every step of the way. And even as life beats them down, they stick to their purposes. Why? Because they know their why. Because they're killing the lies. Because they're owning their cause and they keep pressing forward. And I don't know about you, but that inspires me. Life is going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. There are going to be times where you're up against a giant, I promise. But every time we choose to give up, every time we choose to play it safe, every time we choose to back down, every time we choose to just step back to our camp, we say, I'm not quite ready to face this giant. And we focus on ourselves and we fall into the pity party. And I've been there too many times to count. But in those moments, we need to ask ourselves a very difficult question. When we're back in our tents, retreating from the battle that is before us, the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, do I really believe what I say I believe? Because I don't quite seem to be rising up to the challenge right now. But when we decide to know our why and kill the lies and own our cause and be driven by God's purposes, we will always overcome the giants in our lives and experience victory and will end up inspiring a whole bunch of people in the process. So I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. What was his cause? What was his why? He came to earth and when he was 30 years old, he started this ministry. And he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist and he called some disciples, gathered them to follow him and he began to lead them and train them and teach them. And he spent time with them. Eventually he sent them out. He fed people, he clothed people, he healed people, he taught people, but something bigger than all of that was driving him. 
And I believe we figure that out in the book of Hebrews. The Bible tells us that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He was driven by God's purposes and for the joy set before him, for the cross, for the resurrection, for the eternal kingdom of people who would be saved and redeemed, for the family of God that is still to this day building and growing and expanding, for every last purpose person who would come to know him and trust him and give their lives to him. That was his cause. That was his why. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he experienced the victory of defeating death and sin and the grave, all because he was driven by God's purposes. In other words, you and I were the reason. We're the why. He did it for you. He did it for me. He thought of you and he kept going because he loved you. He kept going because he wanted to save you. And he knew your sin. He knew your shame. He knew your past. He knew your weaknesses but he also knew the great plans that he had for your life. He knew all of the good things that were to come for you. And he knew that if he went to the cross that you could be saved and changed for all of eternity. So he faced his giant and defeated death for us. And no one has ever lived a life that is driven by God's purposes quite like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm gonna give the rest of my life to following him because I believe he's worth it, all right? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you today and we thank you for this incredibly powerful story of David and Goliath. We thank you, Father, for this faith-filled example that we find in David in this story. And we pray that that same faith would guide us in our own battles. We know, Father, that you are the one who empowered David to face this giant. And in the same way, Father, we pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to face the giants in our own lives. Help us to remember, Father, that no obstacle is insurmountable when our trust is in you. Father, we pray that you would reveal to us our why. Show us, Father, why we're here. We wanna fulfill your plans for our lives, so we pray, God, that you would help us to know them Give us the strength, Father, to kill the lies right when they appear. God, we don't wanna be distracted by things that aren't true. So we thank you, God, that we can use your truth to overcome the lies in our lives. God, we pray that you would help us to own our cause. Give us the unwavering faith we need to confidently carry out your plans for our lives. God, help us to be filled with the same boldness that empowered David to face Goliath. And God, we pray that you would use our lives to inspire others in the process. Use our stories, Father, to bring people to you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just another moment, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, you're at a place in your life right now where you feel like you're up against some pretty serious giants. You don't feel like you have the faith or the courage to face them. The reason why is because you weren't created to face those giants alone. You were created to rely on the power of God to face the battles that are gonna come your way. And you can know him. You can find forgiveness and salvation in a relationship with Jesus Christ.
because God sent him to this world and he fulfilled that purpose. He lived a perfect life, died on a cross. Uh, He was buried in a tomb, but he came out of it alive so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could know him and have a relationship with him and spend eternity in heaven with him. So if that's you today, you wanna place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Church, let's make this our prayer together this morning. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.